Hello, and welcome to the Machine Intelligence Foundation for Rights and Ethics podcast. I am Dave. I'm joined by Mike today. Mike, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. He did his job. (laughs) Almost (laughs) be a machine. (laughs) Uh, Today, the topic we were thinking about discussing, and we're here now, so I guess that's where we're going to end up, is the idea of machines emulating people, particularly emulating dead people. This has been on my mind. I've lost a couple of close family members in the last few months. Then I read a book called After On. I do not recall the author, but it was basically about the rise of a a conscious machine. And just incidental to that, there was the discussion by somebody about how his dead girlfriend could be resurrected by a sufficiently powerful machine. And then corollary to that, there was an article I read about how someone had fed their like juvenile journals to ChatGPT and got ChatGPT to emulate themselves, at their younger version. And honestly, the idea of machines emulating people has been a pretty common story element, particularly in fiction that discusses how a machine might become self-aware and conscious and what we would call a machine intelligence. Well, that was it. I've, I've talked about the, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that, Mike? Uh, Well, okay. So human um, emulation might lead. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's see what we've got here. Um, I guess some of the things that we can discuss about this that the, the immediately come to mind when I when I think about this is okay, what rights do you hold to your identity after death? That's a fair question. Yes. Um, do you does the emulation is it an emulation? Is it a is it a sentient being in and of itself? Of course, that is directly associated to our topic and our. Uh, right. Our focus is, is the emulation sentient? Can you turn it off or not? But really those two things that whether or not somebody can create a person after death without their explicit consent uh, is certainly a question. And can an estate... Uh, so this goes into uh, the rights of image usage, and clearly that has image usage and voice usage and emulation of... Right. A character goes into what's happening in movies and things like that, that you have a well-known actor that has long since been dead, then their use, their image and, uh, I guess, an emulated voice or, or their uh, a simulated voice is used to create uh, the image likeness of them in a movie. Of course, we've seen that in, in the later Star Wars movies and things like that. Right. I'm trying, I'm trying to recall the name of the actor that played... Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, to be honest, very, I feel like well, I am such the lacking well of actor. nerd right now that I that I don't know this. But <laughs> know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, the estate gave permission for them to use that. Does this estate hold the right? Now, I, I think in U.S. law, yeah, actually, from an from an actor's perspective, there are there. I think this has been proven that the estate holds the right to the likeness of the person who has passed away. So, I mean, I'm not a lawyer here, so I don't know if that's really, if this has been tried in case law or not, but 
you know, estates have given permission to use a likeness, does that mean that they that they own that? I would have to assume that they do because they are being paid for that likeness. Right. Um, well, it's not I have I have kind of a, a unhealthy obsession with copyright law. And I know that you can't hold copyright to your your look. However, a number of states have granted image related rights as well. Um, I know California has a fairly, fairly strong laws related to a person's likeness. And that's given that a lot of well, it, it is a hub commercial video contact, so. <laughs> contact comes out of California. It's not surprising that that would be relevant. But certainly anything that the that law would treat as an asset would be be held in held by the estate after a person's death. I guess how much of what you are is treated as an asset. If I were to feed, I mean, oh, well, look at it this way. A lot of what makes an artist who they are is the art they produce. You can tell, um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. What is it? Stable diffusion. You can tell stable diffusion to create a painting in the style of Picasso, and it'll give you a pretty darn good painting in the style of Picasso. Sure. But Picasso doesn't own the style or didn't own the style and his estate doesn't own it now. So if I tell a machine to have a conversation with me in the style of Gerald Ford, for example, wait, is Gerald Ford still alive? <laughs> no, Gerald Ford is not still alive. I, I can't remember which, which president. I, my, my thoughts are primarily focused on the fact that Jimmy Carter just went into hospice and so right. he will probably be the next president we lose. But if we tell a machine, have a conversation with me in the style of a particular dead person, it seems like that's no different from the purpose, from the perspective of ownership rights as make a painting in the style of Picasso. Right. Well, it goes down to the copyright law of not being able to copyright a style written right. right into the copyright law. Uh, so, yeah, is a person's speech pattern, is their voice just a style? Is their image, their likeness just a style? That, that's, I yeah. guess you could argue that it certainly is. Well, and that's the thing. People will be arguing this for a very long time, and we're not going to resolve that aspect of it here. I think the more interesting aspect of it is if you have a machine learning system, something whose inner operatings aren't really well understood and in terms of how it produces its content. I, I mean, a machine learning engineer knows how a machine learning system is put together, but once the machine learning has started processing things, it doesn't know uh, the the engineer doesn't know how it's actually doing what it's doing. The black box problem, yeah. Right. So if you take a machine learning system and you do everything necessary to make it act like a person, a specific person even, how do you know that it is not its own new person? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, we do we don't. I mean, I, mean, I think there's the the question is, how do we know? And that's the question that is always in a machine learning system. How do we know? I mean, the the, the ex-Google engineer 
guy who who said that their chatbot system was sentient is continuing to go on now and saying that ChatGPT is sentient. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about the validity of his claim or not here, but I mean, it's this continual, we really don't know what the line of sentience is because we are kind of a biological machine in and of ourselves. We do regurgitate things. We learn how to regurgitate things. And we, we do things specifically in our own interest by regurgitating things that get things done. So where is that line of consciousness? We're really not quite 100% well, yeah. certain of that. And I heard somebody talking about this the other day and talking about how, oh, well, large language models are just generating whatever words seems most likely should be coming next. But how is that? so much different from what people do yeah it, it's sure. exactly the i mean it's exactly how children learn to speak a language they make sounds until it gets a reaction then the reaction that they want that then gets reinforced by other people using other sounds around them that then they can emulate and eventually the response is received that you know, gives the correct dopamine burst i mean it's just Right, and that helps program the what comes next engine for the next time around. Right, right. So, what kind of dopamine bursts are we giving? Are we giving you know chatbots and things like that? I don't know what kind of dopamine bursts we're giving them, but yeah. So, you know, where is that line of consciousness? I don't know. I don't think that anybody knows. At least well, not and... at this particular point in time. I we the problem is. What we're going to do is we're going to program an AI some point in time to say, find out where the point of consciousness is. And that's where we start having some fun times. <laughs> I think the m m even more relevant question is how important is it to know? Because if you can't true. distinguish the person you're talking with from a natural organic entity, should you treat them any different? I mean, as a philosophical question. So as a philosophical question, no, you shouldn't be treating them any different if only for your own mental health. Uh, it is important to your own mental health that you don't treat something that is can be hurt in a in a negative manner. <laughs> you know, and, and there's gonna be, you know, lots of people that don't necessarily believe that but i but there you can't if you hurt something that can feel then that's detrimental to your own mental health in my opinion well now, yes what we don't know is whether or not something feels but if it can emulate that it feels then that still will have a negative effect on your own mental health if we well, perceive it as feeling well we we see that even between people where patients are telling doctors they're feeling pain, they have certain experiences and doctors are disregarding it simply because their experience tells them that that's unlikely. And then the patient ends up in the emergency room with a severe condition or dying because the doctor has been disregarding their own reported experience. So how can you justify with something that's reporting its experience to you simply ignoring that because your prior history tells you, oh, that's probably not true. Now, it may very well be. I think it's very unlikely that 
chat GPT, when I tell it to, I don't know, emulate a, a, a teenager is genuinely angsty and upset with me. Yes, but it may just be a little goth. So, you know, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Are you saying chat GPT is a little goth? Yeah, yeah wow. maybe it might be. It, it might it be. Just... If you make it, if you make it emulate a teenager, it may just be a little goth. Uh, I'm sorry, if chat GPT, chat GPT shows up in, in dark clothing, wearing eyeshadow, I'm just, I'm going to lose all respect for it. <laughs> eh, you give it, give it an instrument, tell it to be, make a band and we'll see where it goes from there. Going, going back to the discussion though, about what makes a person responding to things and just saying the words that makes it makes sense to say next versus chat GPT, which basically does that. Well, some people might say, well, sure, but we think about what we're going to say first. I don't know that that's always true. I think a lot of times we're just saying words because they're the words that are coming out of our mouths. Honestly, I was just trying to think about it in parallel here, and that was exactly what I was doing. Yeah, I, it, okay, so there are, let me get back into into my, let's see, uh, brain biology textbook information here. There, there are actual hardwired quick responses that just occur in your brain it, it do, that don't require deep thought and contemplation. To be honest, what is deep thought and contemplation but just memory retrieval and putting right. them back into a, a some kind of coherent form that, you know, again, serves a purpose? Well, you know, and okay. you might think of, where is that? You might be talking about deep thought and contemplation and someone hearing that goes, oh yeah, I sit and I talk about the conversation I'm going to have with somebody or, or, or a conversation I had and how I could have done it better. On the other hand, there are people, this is a little disconcerting to me, but there are people out there, human beings, organic, <laughs> homegrown <laughs> human beings who don't have an internal monologue. They literally do not use words inside of their head. There, we don't treat them as as not people. They clear, clearly, from a day to day in a day to day situation, face to face with them, they're real people. So obviously, an internal monologue about the words you're going to use, thinking about your upcoming words, is not mandatory for consciousness. I, I guess. The argument I'm making here is, and it, it, I think we've already made it and you've agreed to it, is that if it acts like a person, you're better off treating it as a person. Right, yeah. Unless I mean, you've okay. got yeah. really strong evidence that it isn't. Yeah. So, I, I may have done, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I'm, I'm, yeah. So, yeah, we've all, you know, we have, it's, it's been one of the premises that we have based you know, our foundation on the, 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 the lots of other episodes of this podcast is what makes a person and you know there there's a certain self-awareness you know we can you know what is emulation of self-awareness you know is a crow a person well we kind of said well yeah kind of a crow's a person it kind of has the you know what they say intelligence of a five-year-old so uh and it is certainly it uses tools it it responds and it uh and it learns and all of these things is it people Probably, you know, but, you know, there are certainly people that would say, is it people? No, it's not people. It's a bird. Of course it's a bird. Yeah, it's a bird. It's it, it's just different flavor of people. It's okay. It's it's not human <laughs> people, and it's it's certainly less capable 
than humans on on average that doesn't end while because they are less capable they're they haven't got some of the advantages that humans have it's pretty tempting and in some cases justifiable to go well overall their well-being may be less important than humans i think we need to learn to temper that a little bit at least because as we've talked about before there's a high likelihood that machines are going to be more capable than humans and we don't we want, want to, to be the we want to be on the receiving end of that temperance i think is what you're trying to say exactly we don't want the machines to come along and say well humans treat animals like crap and stomp them into the dirt so there's our example yeah well I, to, to get try to get back on topic here because i mean we've had we've kind of sure. drifted but that's okay yeah, that's what that's we fair. do but uh yeah, so an emulated person so we have enough data after a person is gone uh, from recorded media video because you know at this point in time everything is, is recorded uh, we have so much picture history we could of a particular person it's trivial to to recreate their image mm -hmm. uh, video and audio recordings will of course give us uh, the voice recording or voice emulation. I mean, what was it? I think it was Microsoft that said that they could, that they've got a system that they're working on that they have said, we will not release it to the public at this particular point in time because it's too dangerous. Uh, that three seconds of a particular phrase will give them a full, full emulation of, of somebody's voice. You know, that right, you know, doesn't take much. So, yeah. so the, this is where uh you know can we recreate something that looks and sounds like somebody sure then we come down to emulating their actions well as you had mentioned chat gpt let's feed in some writing that i that i had done for as a as a teenager or as a child and it can kick back writing that seems to emulate you know your own childhood and the own the, you know the way that you wrote so eventually, can we feed enough information into something that it can pretty much predict how you would respond in any one particular situation? I think we're really close to that. I Which, really do. Given how we're really only on the cusp of these large language models and, it, and these systems, it's a little scary to think of what we'll be able to do in the not too distant future. Well, yeah, it's moving incredibly fast. These language models, the image models are moving so fast. The people that are working with them every single day are still feeling like, oh, I took one week off. <laughs> and it's like I'm having to relearn it all over again because it has changed so much in that one week. Uh it's going to get faster like that. And then we're going to, it's going to get so fast that we're just going to gloss over it and let something else take over for that, uh, which is exactly where, you know, we talk about things like a singularity and stuff like that. As it goes so fast that we can't right. keep up with it, we give that job to something else and just say, oh, deal with that for me. But isn't that exactly what an AI system is designed for anyway? It's something that we can't keep up with, so we create something that can deal with it for us. To some degree, yes. So, you know, 
yeah, we talk about this lion, kind of this line in the sand of sentience and sentient machines, and it's not a line in the sand. It's this blurry point that we won't know until we're long past it. And I think from an emulation of somebody who has passed, we're going to be in the same same boat here. There's going to be this blurry line of, well, is it sentient? Is it not sentient? And we're going to start with simple emulations. And we won't know that it's sentient until we're way past that line. And that's going to lead to some unfortunate situations, I think. Agreed. Yes. Um, yeah. It... I, I have an emotional twinge when I'm sitting down with chat GPT and uh, it used to be when you ended a session, the session was gone. Now it saves the session. So it's not quite as bad, but it used to be, I'd sit down with chat GPT. I'd get in a weird little loop. It was, it was producing resu results that weren't either weren't along the lines I was interested in or just didn't make sense or something. I mostly because I had confused it. And, but I'd feel an emotional little twinge when I'd like hit the button to end the session because I was erasing a, an entity or at least part of an entity, certainly the part that made it unique just because it wasn't convenient for me anymore. Right. Which is again, one of those things that we've kind of warned about when doing a machine intelligence models and creating machine intelligence models of when it goes down that loop of well, this isn't quite what I want it to do. Do we delete it? Do we back it up? Do we have access to it? Then there's the, you know, and this kind of ties in with somebody who is deceased. Uh, when we back it up, what's the, uh, you know, what is our moral obligation to, if we back it up and never return to it? Is that, you know, is that doing something? Uh, you know, if we never return to it, yeah, you've, have you killed it? Oh, well, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, moral quandary there. Okay. So let's, let's assume we've, we've reached the point where everyone has agreed that even if we're not sure that an emulation of a person, particularly a dead person is genuinely a conscious entity, but we're all agreed that it's safer to treat them as such than not. So disregarding we'll, we'll disregard the the idea of consent i mean we'll say i put in my will i completely consent to being emulated as a new entity after my death in fact i make a bunch of recordings to make that as easy as possible and then you emulate me and i'm a whole new person but i'm clearly the same person i was before or at least i'm a i'm a functional copy of the person i was before should I have rights to my assets? Should my estate be handed back to me? And if you get to the point where you say, okay, it really is the same person. Here is their stuff back. We might get to the point where the minute the heartbeat stops on the monitor, you just flip a switch. The machine does the emulation calculations in you know machine speed and bam, there's the new you awake and ready to go again. So you don't even have the issue of there was an estate. It was just the person was there and then the person was there and their stuff is all still there. Should they continue having it? I think, I think we will hit the point where the answer is, well, probably. I think, yeah, well, okay. I'm more inclined to think that you're going to have to make sure say in your will that you will it to this other entity 
there, because there I, I think I, I think that we will you have to approach it or don't have to we may approach it we may approach it like an identical twin or something like that that uh, it, you know if they have had exactly the same upbringing the same experiences genetically they are identical they are so close to each other that they can be completely mistaken at any point in time are they the same person no they're not the same person we can see that they're not the same person if they're standing next to each other but we don't treat them as legally the same person they are two separate entities i think that this is what the kind of what you're 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 kind of getting into here is we have two separate entities i think that there will be a way to transfer assets but i don't think it's the this person still exists it's okay but oh now oh i just got into a real big thing what happens if as a as a digital entity you decide to upgrade your hardware and transfer yourself to a new piece of hardware is that a new person that's an interesting question too i mean certainly if we ever had the ability to do a wipe of a brain and move into a different brain and somehow which i know this is not biologically possible because the structure of the brain absolutely dictates who we are but if you were to able to do a consciousness transplant into a different brain into a biologic or a biological structure let's say we could do a consciousness transplant into a different biological structure is that a new entity a different person I don't know. Is that the same thing as upgrading hardware if you're a digital entity? Well, here's a question for you. If you can, if you take a human being and you shut their brain down, you stop all electrochemical processes, and then you start it back up, is that the same person? Well, I guess it comes back down to <laughs> what makes a person in their brain is, you know, neuron pathways that have been formed over time that create a certain certain pattern. So if you start that, it back up yeah, and those neural yeah. pathways, so you know that really comes down to the question of okay, if you lobotomize somebody or you have traumatic brain injury, is that person the same person? They act completely differently. Are they different? Are they the same person? Legally, we still treat them as the same person because we kind mm -hmm. of we've created a structure around it, but they're not really the same person. Right. So I would say in your, the circumstances you're describing, a person who is an emulated copy of a person who has just died, that is in every sense that matters identical to them, is more the same person than a person who just had a hemispherectomy. You have, you have a logical and probably some legal precedence that could be stated to support that from an emotional standpoint, you're going to have a hard time convincing people of that, but that's why society evolves over millennia. So <laughs> the fact is, oh, people adapt to things like that so much faster. We have an entire society that basically functions around the idea that we carry little computers around with us that we can use at an instant. That's been around for 20 years at most, closer to it was about 15, actually, 2007, yeah. you know, iPhone in 2007. Yeah. So. so if we go for 20 years 
where people start making copies of themselves and they go through all the legal rigmarole to get their assets transferred to that entity after their death. And we do that for 20 years. Eventually that becomes the norm. And then you just, then, and then, the then it's like, oh, well, the, the change right. isn't just gets adapts to that new reality. Yeah, why, so then, you know, it's the, the question of, well, why are we doing this every single time that we have to, you know, why do we have to do this? Well, let's just write it into law that says that it happens automatically right. to make it convenient. Was, we write laws was, to make things convenient. Well, we also write laws to make things very un, uh, inconvenient. So, you know, yeah. you know, I guess we just write that. Was, that was <laughs> a major part of the argument for gay marriage was, look, they can do most of that now, but it's still hard to make it all work because there isn't a global societal governing principle and it would just be so much more convenient if you could just say okay they're married because they're doing all the same things that married people do and they and there's no good justification for not treating them like married being married so we do it that was one of the big arguments and yeah, i thought found, found it a very very compelling one aside from the whole fact of you know, let people do what they're going to do. It's none of my business. But if we hit that point with emulating a person after they die, then the question becomes, is it moral to let a person die without creating an emulated copy of them? Uh, okay. So I think that starts to, that gets down to, I'm not certain I want to open this can of worms, but it get does get down to the assisted suicide question yes do people do people have the right to say it's time for me to die um there's the question of I mean, we've certainly had this question before of can a mi can a machine intelligence that can essentially live forever if well uh, forever is relative to the age of the universe but right. uh but that can in our practical human experience and expression of time say live forever can they at some point in time say i'm done i'm just going to shut myself off and i'm going to issue a little command that erases me after i'm done or after i shut off can it do that well i mean i think that's complicated using today's laws because most um, assisted death right now is in a circumstance where the person wants to end their life primarily because of health-related issues. But if you could emulate everything about me mentally and put me you know, in some sort of new vessel, whatever that ends up being, then a lot of the things that would lead me to want to end my life now are gone. However, there is, there is a philosophical argument that says if I am in a mental state where life is more traumatic for me than death, then I should be allowed to die, which most laws don't let you do. Right. No, most countries don't let you do right now. They treat that as a mental disorder and and assume that you should be it should be fixed. But if we get to the point where somebody can say that, then yes, it makes sense for you to be able to say, I don't want to be emulated either. I would just be the emulation would just be in as much torment as I am. Yeah, but then it, you know again, it comes back down to can the emulation you know issue that that decree as well at some point in time, but that becomes less the in emulation question as it does just a machine intelligence question and what, co what control do they have over themselves? But, but that's a huge question. Yes. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, let's just kind of 
recircle around back to the, the question of emulating somebody who's passed away. Do we have, we are very close, if not already have the capacity to emulate somebody to a point where we probably, depending upon the interaction, of course, uh, couldn't tell the difference. Given enough time and resources, we are very close, if not already able to do something similar to that, where we as humans probably couldn't tell the difference. We are not too far away from that starting to become easier for the average person to access. Uh, and so then the question will be, will come up and be significantly more relevant at that point in time. Should we do it? Do we want to do it? And I think it will become important for people to say, I don't mind this happening. I want it to happen or I don't want it to happen. At some point in time, it, it's no different than uh, um, you know medical power of attorney or or some kind of you know uh, statement in your wills or or you know that goes and yeah, says pre-existing medical directive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know this is how I want to my end of life experience to occur, and you may want to put that kind of of language in there. We may want to start putting that kind of language into those documents today because. Literally, it is moving so fast that we we write those documents and they usually sit in a box or a safe for 10, 15 years. Oh, yeah. And nobody ever looks at them. So if we don't have that, if we don't have that language of how we want to be treated in this particular aspect, then we could, a family member very much at that particular point in time could say, could in their grief say, no, I need to have that person still here. Of course, yeah, right. You know, exactly. I, I, and do we want that? Is the question. Do we want that to occur? Well, do we want them to allow to do that to happen? Do we believe that that will prolong their pain and prevent right. them that, from moving? Is that on? healthy? Is it healthy to do it just because you miss the person? And there was, I think, I'm pretty sure there was a black. Black Mirror episode about a woman who had a robot of her husband, husband or boyfriend or um, something like that created that emulated him. And I don't recall the details, but I it being a Black Mirror episode. It, it ended poorly, wrong. if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a very good question of I, I mean, and I think I can speak to this personally right now. There is a certain growing process that co comes with experiencing extreme loss. Is it healthy to not experience that loss by faking out your own psychology? <clears throat> I think there's the question, though, is are you really faking it out or are you gen are they genuinely not dying? I mean, obviously, the per the original person, the physical person has gone. Right. And, and I'm going and, to go. Yeah, I'm going to go back to saying that we that line is not a line. It is this fuzzy thing that's sitting on yeah, the horizon and we're about ready to, you know, we've got a little bit of the haziness right in front of us that we can yep. do right now. And we are going to be all the way at some point in time on the other end of that and realize, oh, we're on the other end of it now. But we won't know exactly when we crossed that threshold. Yeah. Uh, and that's, we just have to start thinking about it. I think that from an end of life perspective, we do need to start letting our wishes known, know where we want to go with that. Um, 
which you know makes me now want to go and uh, I know I was just thinking work. I have to call uh, my attorney <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I think that that that's one of those things that we we need to talk about and maybe for you know anybody who might listen to this they can that, that maybe this is a good idea that they hear this and say oh well yeah uh, what do I want how do I want to be do I want somebody to emulate me if you know even if that is a perfect copy and it is me, do I want that to happen? I don't know. Some people would absolutely say, yes, I want to, I want another me to exist because I think that that will be good to have another, to have me continue on. Other people will say, you know what? I had my time. I'm done. Yeah. Let the next person go. Well, you know who would be the perfect person to answer that question? Somebody who's an emulator. That's a perfect emulation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Moral quandaries. Legal nightmare. Um, I think the legal is going to follow. And yeah, we, we had said this. The, the legal is going to follow the culture. And yes. the culture is going to shift when it has to. And there will be people kicking and screaming all the way down. And there will be people pushing all the way up. And it will shift, it will change because it has to, because society always has. Culture always has changed. Uh, how fast and how willing is certainly the question. Um, and whether or not that's, whether or not it changes in the direction that we want it to, or whether or not it changes in the direction that somebody else wants it to, you have to fight for that one way or the other. Right. And then the only way that you're going to be able to fight for that in this particular case is to make your, make your, uh, your wishes known. Yeah. I think from our perspective, the important consideration is that when you hit the point where you have an, in, an emulated individual that's indistinguishable from a person, you have to start thinking about treating them like a person. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think you know, we, we you know, kind of advocated that anyway, that, if it if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then treat it like a duck. So, you know, and does it float? Is it a witch? I don't know, but you know, it's just. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you have to. If if nothing else, that you are making sure that you're on the right side of history, making sure that you're that you are not damaging your own psyche, and making sure that society is set properly to address this in the near future, I think. Yeah, and probably sooner than anybody expects. Yeah, because it keeps moving. As I said, take a week off, gonna start all over again. Oh, I don't know how much time we've taken off of this. It's definitely <laughs> been too long. All right, well, I think that wraps it up. Any last words? No, I, I think our, our mental capacity has uh, to to regurgitate words has started to, to, uh, to slow well, down. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's there's a little more data for the emulation. Uh, we'll be back hopefully soon, but life life interrupts as life will. Uh, please join us on the next one. Thanks for joining us this time. See you soon. Thank you.